because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at B-Ball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Alabama head coach Nate Oates to the basketball podcast. Oates has a 157-79 record as a Division I head coach at Buffalo and now Alabama, and has many accomplishments and honors to his name, including three MAC tournament titles, two MAC regular season titles, two MAC East Division titles, SEC regular season champions, SEC tournament champions, and he's also a two-time MAC coach of the year and a one-time SEC coach of the year. Oates has revitalized an Alabama basketball fan base and returned the Crimson Tide as one of the top collegiate basketball programs in the nation. And of course, we're here to talk about practices through immersionvideos.com. Nate Oates provided exclusive access to his practices through the All Access Alabama Practice with Nate Oates series. Learn the methods that have produced one of the most entertaining styles of play in the game as you watch multiple practices to get an inside look at how Nate Oates runs his practices and program. Learn more at nateoatesbasketball.com. Coach, the last time you were on was episode eight in 2019. Thanks for the early support and uh, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be back on. Should have always been a big fan. We uh, go 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 to your site. Just a lot of times, I just text you. Send send me send me to the right place on the site. I I, I got to get a little better at navigating the site, but send send me your best out of bounds plays. Your best. Yeah, you've been good. So it's good good to be back on. We can talk a little hoop for a little while. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun and been a lot of fun to see your path and uh, you know, from high school to where you are now. And maybe a good time to reflect a little bit and uh maybe what's something that has changed the most from a coaching perspective from high school to Buffalo to now for you? Uh, like straight coaching. Yeah, like not recruiting, not you know, we know that part and we know the transfer portal, but more just from a coaching perspective. I mean, we you know what. Uh, we were all four out, one in, all high school. You know, once I kind of figured out exactly how I wanted to, how I do it. You know, being a high school coach, you're able to experiment for a while. But once we settled in on what we wanted to do, was four out, one in. You know, kind of the dribble drive with the post being opposite, and then we did the same at Buffalo for the most part. And then I got to Alabama, and we we really changed it, going more five out. But I still think running all the four out, one in for all those years help with the five out because the five out always it, your five out spacing is still not the greatest spacing to drive the ball. And we want to drive the ball. It's the best thing we do is open the floor up and drive the ball. It's just a different way to get to your four out one in. it starts five out. And then you can have different guys being your one in, you know, you pop your five and slash it a wing in there. Now you got a wing in the dunkers, your five spaced or, you know, or your five sets a simple away screen, sets a drag screen, and he can get down to the dunkers and go to your four out one. Just different different way, but so I think running the four out one in so much helped. But yeah, we've gone to mainly all five out type stuff, like similar to what you see a lot in the NBA right now. So that's probably the biggest change, I would say. Well, it's one of the reasons I always like watching you guys. Other than our relationship, is just that you're enjoyable to watch from a you know, from an offensive perspective. And there's still not that many college teams that have gone all in, say, from that perspective yet. Um, but 
you know, you were challenged this year, weren't you with that? And, uh, you know, and, and that mainly being staying true to your philosophy, you know, of, of threes getting to the rim and free throws because you were third in threes per game, 303rd in three point field goal per- percentage and still 16th in offensive efficiency. So can you talk about that challenge this year? Yeah. I mean, when you're going to be top 10, pretty much shoot, I think first year here, we we're first in threes per game and, yeah, I mean, every year we're going to be top, probably top 10, if not top five, and three's taken per game with the way we play. So ideally, you're not 303rd in three-point percentage if you're going to take 33s a game. But, you know, we had some we had some rough shooting nights. We were three for 30 against Kentucky one game. And, you know, you get – in high school, you do it, you know, a couple dads question you. Uh, you do it at this level, you get – get the whole country question you, you, you big fan base. And, you know, so I like, you got to be pretty solid with your philosophy on what you want to do. And kind of like you said, there's, I think there's some college teams that have tried to go to some of the five out and experiment a little bit. And we, we were really successful, you know, in year two here, we're 16 and two and, you know, kind of won the SEC going away, won the regular season and the tournament both. And I, you know, you saw some teams try to, maybe copy what we did a little bit, you know, sports is a little bit of a copycat deal everywhere, the NFL, NBA, everything. And then when it's not working, you know, you play them the first time and you see them in the non-conference and they're looking a lot more like what we're doing. And by the time you get to them by middle of January, late January, like the whole thing's scrapped because it's not working well for them. And that, that was the good thing, you know, and most people don't come up the way I came up, but I'll say this. That was a good thing with being a high school coach. I didn't have to scrap everything right away as soon as it didn't work because there's not a ton of pressure. You could experiment and keep what you want, you know, what you want to shoot one year. I pressed the whole game 16 games in. It. Finally, I quit doing it after 16 games, but I at least had, uh, you know, I, I could do, I could experiment that way. So, you know, we're still dead set on. I mean, it still all comes down to a lot of analytics. We still felt like, even though we were 303rd in the country in three point percentage, we still felt like getting open threes was still, you know, I mean, it was our third best shot. We, we free throws at the rim twos, kick out threes. And even if we were 303rd, we're, we're still going to take them. I mean, all of a sudden we're going to adjust and start shooting. 18 footers like that. We're not going to shoot a higher percentage. You're going to get your points per shot are going to be way lower on that. You know, we, we don't have a team built to be a heavy post-up team. That's not really modern basketball. Well, there there's use for post-ups, but not the heavy traditional throw it to your fours and fives with the other one on the opposite block or high low. Like we, we didn't have a team built to do that. So we, we weren't going to just, our adjustments were let's try to get higher quality threes. Let's get in the gym and work harder. So get some more confidence. Let's try to pump our guys up with as much confidence as they can. And, you know, see if we, and we had some good shooting nights and we had some poor shooting nights. And that's why we're in the transfer portal right now, trying to find some shooters. So we, we're going to be top 10 in the country and three taken per game. Let's not be 300 and something in three point percentage. Well, there's, there's so many things I want to ask. I mean, number one with the fan base, like, do you find that's part of your responsibility now? Because I do find fans are more educated about the analytics and different things like that. But is that part of your responsibility to be able to educate them about why you're doing what you're doing? Or does that even matter? 
That's a good question. I I um I go around and speak to different organizations, you know, in the offseason, it's part of your job at this level. And, you know, I'll get asked these analytics questions a lot. So you, you can tell that the people are following what we're doing. You gotta kind of gotta explain it. It's um, you know, you try to give them the simple, quick version of why we're doing what we're doing. But I, I don't know that I necessarily feel like I have to educate them deeply, but they, they you probably owe them to know, you know, the style that we're going to play and why we're going to play it and give them some rationale behind it. So we, you know, post-game interviews in front of the media, the media will ask when I go around the offseason, different booster groups, fan groups, that they'll, they'll ask. And so I'll give them the quick dumbed down version as quick as I can on why, you know, the analytics of it all and the, you know, but it's actually a good question. I've never thought about Is it my responsibility to educate the fans? I, 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 we, we do try to educate them when it's appropriate, but I don't feel it's, I've got a whole lot longer list of things. I feel (laughs) it's my responsibility of educating the fans, but yeah, I mean, fans are part of this. We're in the entertainment business. It's a, entertaining style we play and let's let them know why we're playing the style that we're playing. Well, and again, like it's, it's it, like you might sit there and go oh, 330, you shouldn't be shooting threes, but you're still 16th in offensive efficiency, which is incredible. But again, it just shows the philosophy and how strong it is about getting to the rim. And you did such a good job of that. Uh, I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you emphasize getting to the rim in that five out. Yeah. So we actually, every off season, we do a breakdown on what, we were good at, bad at, what we can get better at, what other good programs are doing a good job of. And so the the thing we picked up a lot on last offseason was we weren't getting enough assisted at the rims. You know, most of our at the rims were off the drive, unassisted, you know, didn't help or shoot. Even sometimes they help and our guys are just going up on two guys and our at the rim percentages were not what we wanted them to be. So the the highest percentage is an assisted at the rim shot. So how do you get more assisted at the rims? Well, we worked on a lot of slashing, you know, slashing from your 45, like you talked about corner slashing, you know, you, you break a guy down in the slot. So cuts off drives. Yeah. Yeah. Cutting off drives was a big thing. Cutting off drives, cutting off pick and pops. So we, we, and again, I had to educate myself how's the spacing look like we hadn't emphasized that a ton before, you know, you get the occasional back door, but there's, there's a a real opportunity for a lot of cutting to the rim, slashing, whatever you want to call it with the dribble drive. Like we, we just hadn't used it much. So we started to look at it heavy. When does it come? We talked about who should be slashing here. Who should, I talked to NBA every year. I go to an NBA training camp, you know, Tried to talk to a couple NBA guys about slashing. We look at a lot of NBA film. You know, we made some cut-ups, showed our guys this is where you should be slashing. We did a lot better job at it. So if you look, like, yeah, we this is our most efficient offense we've had since we've been here, even though we were 303rd in three-point percentage. And I think a, a large part of that was all the assisted at the rims that we were able to get. And then our offensive rebounding is good, too. I mean, obviously, the more – second chance points you can get those, those typically end up in at the rims too you can go right back up or, or a wide open kick out three so i think our offensive rebounding our points of emphasis are emphasizing the cutting to the rim the assists at the rims in the offseason helped us 
keep the efficiency numbers high, even though we shy low. So if we can continue to learn, get better at doing all that stuff, and now actually make a decent percentage from three, I feel like we can really make a big jump this next year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing that uh, stood out when I talked to uh, an assistant in your league as I was preparing for this, they said, even if you guys don't shoot it well, they still have to cover it. And it still creates that gravity that you want. And that leads to, as you said, some of these assists at the rims, some of these gaps to be able to drive. So, uh, you know, that's an important part of it. One thing you did really well at Buffalo, and I think, again, you see it in stretches at Alabama, is that drive the 45 off of the hit ahead. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're running with two two sides now. Can you talk about the advantage of being able to drive those 45s? Yeah, I, I, we we tell our guys anytime you see an opening between you and the rim, you got you got to drive it. Like we we chart paint touches. Our efficiency is so much higher when the ball hits the paint than when it doesn't, and it's it goes up. There's a a non-paint touch possession to a one-paint touch possession is a big jump. I think I'd have to look at the exact numbers this year, but it's it typically about 0.7 to 1.1. And then there's gradual jump from one paint touch to two paint touches, like maybe one, one to one, two. And then we don't get a ton where it hits the paint more than twice, but three paint touches might be a little more than that. I, Adam would have to pull that those numbers up, but the biggest jump is from zero to one. So anytime, even if we have a play called or, we feel like we chart how many times we can get a paint touch in the first six seconds of the clock. So throw it ahead, drive it. But even if it's not the first six, if we've got a play call, you're reading your defender's feet. He opens feet up to jump into a blue. The big's not there. And the blue stands like, just go. Like, or we're, we've got anything. It doesn't matter what we've got called. If all of a sudden they're playing the play and they open their feet up and you can get a paint touch. Our guys, we do so much work on drive, kick, all the, advantage, disadvantage drills that they know where their read options are. If we can get the paint touch and start our 0.5 game, we're going to have a good possession. So whether it's a kick ahead, drive it before they're set, whether it's in the half court, getting the paint touch, we want our guys playing with ultimate freedom with within context of structure. We're not just rolling the balls out and hooping, but we, we want our guys to have the freedom to at any point they – make a read they can drive, they need to do it. And when we first got here, we had to really retrain Kyra Lewis, who ended up being a lottery pick. Done. You had all that speed, but we don't want our guys playing like robots. We're going to have plenty of sets, like 300 and some, I think, every year we got in, and that goes to our terminology. We can run that many. You know, and we weren't as – some years were better at the sets coming out of timeouts, and some years were not. But we always want our guys playing with a lot of freedom, a lot of confidence, a lot of – really just aggressive attacking inappropriate spots and we'll teach them when the appropriate spots are. Well, it speaks to the connection between player development and your principles of play too. And I think that's something that's been exceptional is obviously you've generated some NBA players and obviously your players develop, but they develop because they have opportunities beyond these set positions, don't they? Yeah. I mean, like we're so positionless for the most part. We're not, you know, like you look at it last year when we had Herb Jones, who's done an unbelievable job as a rookie. Unbelievable. He, he really was our starting point guard. He was our second tallest guy. You know, we started Jordan Bruner at the five, who gave us him and Alex Reese combined. Those two guys could really shoot it and gave us different spacing on the floor that way. But Herb was second tallest guy at six, seven, six, eight, whatever he is. But we really played him at the point. Because if you look at who he started, 
it was Bruner and Herb. And then the other three guys, Primo started for the Spurs this year as a rookie, youngest guy in the NBA, but he's a two guard. Shackelford's a two guard and John Petty's a two guard. I mean, we essentially started three two guards, Herb Jones, who technically I guess would have been our four with how most people would have looked at it. And then Bruner. Well, the other three guys Herb was out there with could really shoot it and score it at a high level. And we let Herb really be our starting point guard. And then we brought Quinley off the bench. We play the two of them together a lot. So then you're playing with kind of two point guards and you can see what Herb was able to do as a rookie in the NBA. He obviously came in really well prepared. His defense was unreal, but he was also really prepared on the offensive end. And they used him a lot as a playmaker. I mean, CJ McCown starts, so because officially CJ would be their starting point guard, but you watch how the NBA's played. Herb would bring the ball up the floor a lot. They'd get CJ coming off screens, shoot Brandon Ingram, bring the ball up the floor. So, you know, there's not there's not that many NBA teams that just have one point guard that brings the ball up the floor and is the only initiator playing right. The game's not played that way anymore. And we don't play it that way. We, you know, we feel like I mean, you look, hopefully we have two guys drafted this year. So in three years, we're going to have five guys drafted if things go like we want them to go. And they're all guard types. Our offense is very good for guards, and it's great for a point guard. But we tell the point guards we recruit, if you're playing to play in the NBA, Steph Curry doesn't bring the ball up the floor every time. Like Draymond Green brings the ball up the floor a decent amount of times. you got to learn to play off the ball, on the ball, all types of different positions. And that's what they're going to do in our system. Just to bring that home for people, prior to your arrival, the Tide had just one men's basketball player selected among the top 15 picks from 1992 to 2019. And we're talking potentially after this year, I mean, five and 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 growing every year. So it's tremendous. Uh, Coach, you also mentioned edits for your guys to educate them, uh, you know, about the assisted at the rim. And uh, that's that's a challenge nowadays, isn't it, with the constant turnover in your roster to be able to educate players about the different things that you're doing. Can you talk about the different ways that you do that about say this off season, preparing some of the new players about your terminology and style of play, et cetera. That's a good question. So we, Adam, our director of analytics and Sky, Adam's pretty much in charge of everything. Not Adam Bowman, on, right? Yeah. Just Adam Bowman, everyone that not doesn't on know. the court. So he used to be our director of ops and we had a really, he had a really good assistant director of ops that, who we, moved up to director of ops. So we could totally just move Adam over to being in charge of everything off the court, all, all basketball related. So analytics, scouting, video, any of that stuff falls under him and he's great at it. So he, he puts everything we do into just play. So like every term, and again, if you're going to have, yeah, and I'd have to ask Adam, I don't know what the number, usually the number ends up being around 300 and some set plays we have if you're going to have that many like it's it's all family based you know you got your horns family your iverson series your your zipper series well within that you know the you know we use a term for flare well call it f you know we horns f1 horns f4 iverson f4 you know like you can have all your flares you got another term for ball screen, flaring the ball screener, got another term. So so we put the term in, then you have a diagram drawn up, and then there's also video showing it. And you, we also put the playbook in there with, you know, sometimes it, I like to try to limit them to three words, you know, 
whatever it may, may be. Hey, coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. So horns is the alignment yeah. as the family of play. And then you're going to put, you're going to name each action, say flare or down screen is going to be named something. Yeah. And then multiple things can be put together once they learn it. Exactly. Like, you know, you, I mean, so you just kind of say it now, if you could essentially have a play with six words in it, we're not doing that. It's not right. football. We can't like, and we'd like to be able to have hand motion. This is another thing I've thought of. You, you're, 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 real innovator I, I really want to take a sign language class like just take it you know find it sign up i've been thinking about this since buffalo like it'd be ideal to have every one of your plays be able to be hand motion for you getting the crazy loud gyms i haven't done it yet we've got one of our managers that was trying to assign uh hand motions to every play we have and they got this and that i i'm like you got to teach them to me I never learned them all from them. I don't know if they ever got every play with hand motion, but yeah. Well, not just teach them to you. They You have to teach them to your whole team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know, but we love the we, idea. You have the terms, you know, so, you know, like nail stack rebels one, right? We're going to run out of our nail series and run a stack, pick and roll, and then we're going to rebel off it. So like nail stack rebel, like, but you can also have horns rebel just, We've got a horn trouble. Like, so like it, the, the same action can show up in multiple family and they will show up in almost every family. So you can get to the same action out of different alignments. That way you come out of a timeout and you know, you just hit, you ran a Philly action, ran it out of Hawk series, ran it out of Iverson series, ran it out of horn series and you know, whatever it is. So yeah, that's, but so again, Kid comes in like I, I got to learn three hundred plays. Well, no, you don't. You got to learn about you know thirty or forty terms. Once you have those terms down, you piece them together, and then in your head, and then it, it comes pretty quick. So we put all those terms up. Then we will actually put the plays up too, and then we'll start quizzing our guys. And this year we got a foreign tour, and we struggled a little bit off a of board and out of timeouts last year. So we're going to start quizzing them right out of the gate with the practices we've got with the foreign tour this summer. So. So yeah, j- the Adam uses just play a lot. He runs the quizzes by me. He puts the stuff in. I I know it in my head, and, and that's another thing we've talked about this off season. We need to go and clean up our terminology. Like the longer you go, you know, every few years we just sit down. Does it make sense to call it this? This this would make more sense now that we've got this in. We're not running this a lot with our personnel. Like maybe, you know, we're going to try to clean up our terminology here in the next few weeks. So, so just play allows you to organize all that together. So you can do the, the, show them the play, show them the term, show them the play diagram, and then also quiz them. Let's focus on the quizzing for a second. What type of things are you quizzing them on? And then what are the consequences <laughs> of not Good getting question. a qu- certain mark? I, uh, we, so we'll do it a couple different ways. Sometimes we put up a diagram and they just have to 
write down the play name. Mm-hmm. Usually they just have to write the play name down. Sometimes though we put up video, we show it of us running the game or us. Sometimes we video all of our practice. I mean, you've been yeah. through we've done the full access at the beginning of practice when we go five on all or five versus five managers. So you got some at least dummy defense out there so they know who they're screening or whatever. We'll record that and then, you know, assign that to a play and, and show the video of it. So maybe we got 20 plays up and they write the play name down and look, the the consequences are I read off what your score is in front of the team. So if 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 you can't execute a play and you don't know anything, at some point you're gonna get like if you care about winning and playing time and everything else, like you're gonna learn what we're doing. If you constantly are getting low scores on a quiz, you probably don't care that much about what we're doing. And it's hard for me to play guys that don't care because it's hard to win with guys that don't care. So that we don't run them, fail the class. Like there's no class. Like, like, but there's some pride involved. I got a 20 out of 20. I know what I'm doing here. Or, you know, we had some really smart walk-on shoot. I met with one yesterday. He's going to med school. Those guys would be down on the other end. This is how this is how great the terminology works. They're our scout team on the other end. I'm putting in new sets down here. They've not even seen the new sets put in. We throw up new sets on the board and they still get them right because they know the actions and they can piece them together and they just put, okay, it's this family with this series, this boom, boom. And they, they, they weren't there for the install because they were running the other team's stuff on the other end for 15 minutes. I did the install here and they're still getting them right. You know, and then you got some guys down here that were sitting there for the install. <laughs> Great. Don't get them right sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, if you're smart and you know, and you know the terms, you can figure this stuff out pretty quick. Well, you break it down into manageable components, chunking it, as you say, and there's really 30 things that they need to know. And then once that's just a question of grouping them, um, what emphasis do you put on guys studying on their own? And and that is also helped, obviously, by just play. It gets all sent to their phones, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they've got everybody gets a just play login. I've got it on my phone. You pull the app up and and you review it. I mean, it's I mean, we tell our guys, if, if, if you're trying to be a pro and all you do is work on the time that we can require you to be here by the NCAA, like that, you're not, that's not going to work. Like it's all stuff. It's, they got to come in and get extra shooting up, you know, voluntary shooting on their own, but they also need to, you can only spend X number of hours on your feet. It's, it's counterproductive to, you know, to overtrain your body at some point, you know, that's why we got trainers and got all this data on that stuff, strength coach and all that. But if, you know, if you've got an extra hour, you want to spend, pull your phone out, get the terms down. Look, our, our scouting reports go up on that stuff, like opponents studying opponent stuff, like all that's on. It's all available on their phone. So they, we're, we're big on our guys putting in extra time outside of practice to study the game. And we'll, we'll send them edits. Shoot, we make like the slashing edits that we talked about out of the NBA. Every edit we show them as a group, we'll also send it to them so they can go back and review it on their own and see it too, you know, pick and roll at it. We, we do a lot of breakdowns for guard. We try to comparison, you know, we think you could play like, I love like some tough guard. We got a tough guard at it. Like, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, shoot. We're watching it right now. I mean, the Bucks got some Drew Holiday, Javon Carter, Wesley Matthews. We're, we're making an edit of the NBA playoffs. Kind of, we call them blue collar plays. Like we'll send that edit out. I, I'm, you know, I'm going around and meeting with our new guys coming in. This is 
how we expect you to play. We were, we were great. Look, we were really, I thought we were one of the hardest playing teams in the country in year two with Herb Jones and that group leading the way. And I mean, John Petty played hard. Primo played hard. We're, we're up 30, 40 on teams and still being the first team to the floor for a loose ball. We weren't as good at that stuff this year for whatever reason. So we're letting everybody know, like, when you come in next year, we're, we, we've got video to show them. This is what we expect you to play like. By the way, this is also how when the season's on the line in the NBA, they play like now. The NBA is a little different when you got 82 games. I get it. But the playoff intensity, when you lose and you go home, that, there's a different intensity to those games. Everybody tends to crash a little harder, all the blue cow. Like it's, but we're, we're putting together an edit on that stuff. Like this is how winning basketball is played. This is what we expect out of you on, on a nightly basis here in college basketball. Well, you referenced, uh, you know, maximum effort as, as a core value in your program in terms of playing hard and the different things that go with that. And that stood out in the all-access praxis, uh, NATO'sBasketball.com. I mean, it just stands out how hard your guys practice, but how, how much they must enjoy practice too, because they get a chance to compete. Can you talk about the competitive component and how important it is to your practices? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I always like running stuff competitive. I, as a high school coach, I'd go watch a lot of years. We'd go watch a college and an NBA, both like, you know, cause college would start NBA would start up and two or three weeks later college. Now they're kind of at the same time now, which makes it a little harder for me to go watch NBA, but I still make sure we do it even if it's just for two days or whatever. But, um, I, I saying all that, I went out to Pepperdine and watched Vance Wahlberg, uh, one of the years, his first year at Pepperdine was out there for a whole week, almost, I think four or five days with my assistant, me and Josh Baker went out there then. And everything he did was competitive, like two even teams. And we were trying to make stuff competitive, but he did it. He had it really organized competitively. So we kind of followed that model a little bit. And we, as much stuff as we possibly can, every practice, like our five on all offense, you can make competitive. Like you score it, we score, put a shot clock on it. Sometimes we do it with no defense. How many paint touches can you get without breaking our spacing rules? You know, you get a three for a three, you get a one for a tip in, you know, like you got to shoot a three at the end. Like you can score, you can figure out a way to score just about every drill you're running. So we make it really competitive, red team, white team, loser O's sprints at the end. We got a whole deal on that. Winner has to make a free throw to validate their win. You get pressure free throws throughout practice. You get we, we let them shoot free throws at the end, the losing team to knock off some of the sprints. But if they, we, we got, there's all little things that you can still do in high school and college, I think, to make stuff competitive. And our guys like it. They, I, they don't want to, you don't want to just come in and practice to print. No, like I want to come in and compete and we want to teach them to compete. I mean, there's just like, you have to compete to win. And if you don't teach them that everything matters, all the little stuff, all the competition, like you got to, some guys you really some guys are natural born competitors. Some guys are really skilled basketball players, but you got to teach them to compete. And I think making practices ultra competitive like that teaches some of these guys how to compete a little harder. Well, I love it, and we're on board with that, coach. And I think one of the things that uh, you know I emphasize to people is you can't develop a competitive mindset without competition, without offense versus defense. And it's not just about winning, as you just referenced. It's also about can you make the score closer? Can you get closer if you're losing and different things like that? So I'm wondering, is there anything that you do 
creatively with the scoring system to be able to emphasize certain things? Yeah. So, you know, I think we, I don't know what we were this year. I think last year we were first in the country at lowest percentage of shots coming from mid range to, and, you know, now we got to deal with that in recruiting a coach. Are, are, are we, am I not going to be allowed to shoot a mid range too? <laughs> I think even when we were the best in the country at not Tatum, we were still 12.8%. Like we we vary from like 12.8 to 15, 16%. That's still one out of every eight shots is still a non-rim too. Like, yeah, you're allowed to take them in appropriate situations, but we're not going to draw a play up to get a the most inefficient shot in, in basketball. Like we're not drawing plays up to get contested mid-range twos like you know, like some college teams over 50 percent of their shots are mid-range twos so the scoring system you know we give three for a three two for an at the rim two and one for a non-rim two like all right you can take them but we're not going to score them very high because they're not really efficient you know we chart all the guys stuff and we will make exceptions like we've got a four-point line in practice I'm not giving four points to everybody that fires them up from out there because if you're a bad shooter, that's not a good shot. Now, if you got range out to three feet past the NBA three and we can space the floor even further, like we we want you to shoot those. Shackelford could really shoot from that range. You know, Petty had good range. Well, some other guys' range wasn't that far. You know, Quinterly can shoot from that deep. Well, I'm not letting everybody fire up four-pointers. But we chart everything in practice. If you're, you know, shooting 40% from three, and then we, you know, we'll let you go back to four pointers and give you four for them. Anybody else firing up four pointers, it's just going to count for three like normal. But, you know, we try to encourage, we'd like the floor space as deep as we can. I mean, you watch what the NBA is doing now. Like it used to be anytime you shot a one dribble pull up, it was going to be a mid range too. Now these guys' range is so deep. Dame Willard's range is ridiculous. You run him off his range, you shoot a one-dribble pull-up, you're still getting three for it because he's still behind the three-point line. So, you know, we're we're encouraging the deeper shots. So we got a four-point line, obviously three-point line, one-point mid-range, two at the rims. When we want things emphasized, like when we were emphasizing the slashing, the assisted at the rims, for a, a while there at the beginning, any assisted at the rims were worth double. So now they're worth four points like we if you want to if you want your guys to really do something incentivize it make it worth more points like we you know we weren't rebounding the ball well enough all right every time we scored off an old board it was worth double you know instead of two it's worth four so you know and then we and we tailor it back all right it's a plus one you score off an old board you get an extra one so you hit a dagger get an old board throw it out for a three now it's worth four you get a old board and go right back for a two now it's worth three so we, we try to incentivize things that we're emphasizing. You can do it by day, by week. Some of the stuff we keep in, dude, we give two points for a charge on the defensive side all year. We didn't take nearly enough this year. So maybe we need to make it worth four to start next year or something. You know, but like try to figure out what you want to emphasize, what's important to you, and incentivize it without you score score the game a little bit. And we'll still have. We do an end-of-game situation at the end of just about every practice where we throw all the extra scoring incentivizing out. This is a normal game. Threes are worth three. Twos, no matter where they're at, are worth two. Because they're still at an end-of-game situation. Like with the analytics, it's 
over the course of a season, over the course of a whole game. If you're down one and you're, you know, 40% from three, but you're 45% on a mid-range two, well, it, it make more sense to get a mid-range two at that point. All you need to score is two points. Like over the course of a game, you'd be much better off taking a 1.2 point per shot shot from three. But there's certain situations where you got to adjust the analytics for a one possession. So we in our end-of-game stuff or a six-minute game or whatever we got, we throw all the extra scoring out and we just score like a normal basketball game. So we, we do that as well at the end. Well, that's such a great point because I was just going to bring up the problem with some of the constraints, like, for example, you've got to get a paint touch and there's a scoring system associated with this. And the evidence plays this out from the evidence-based research is players learn how to game the point system, right? They're, you're going to get, I got to get the paint, so I'm going to get the paint. But meanwhile, I had a layup. So can you talk about that? Like it's, it's a must get the paint, but there's also an accept if you have a layup. Like we must get a backdoor except if we have this. And I'm sure that's part of what you do. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously always, so we'll, we'll do some stuff game over. Like we're scoring the defense, you know, we're scoring stops Mm -hmm. for instance, but okay. So we're guarding flex action. Let's say teams playing flex. So we got a defensive drill. All right. First team to three stops wins. But if the offense scores off the flex cut, it's game over. Like, blow the whistle. It doesn't matter if it was two zip, first team to three stops. We've got some game over situations. You know, we don't give up uncontested layups. If you get an uncontested layup, it's game over. You win. Like, we're, we're contesting everything at the rim. You better rotate over and take a charge. You better rotate over, block a shot. Like, you know, in transition, you better have your back man sprint back and contest it. We're not just watching teams shoot layups. That's losing basketball. So, you know, th- there's that too, where like, so if, if we're not going to give it up on defense, it's something we're definitely looking for on offense because you win the game. If you're down seven zip and get an uncontested layup, you win the game. We go to eight, you blow the whistle game over. So there, there's a lot of, and, and I, again, we, we like to emphasize what we, we want by the scoring system, but there's also, let's not game the scoring system so much that we're not playing basketball. Like, you know, Lane, you, sorry, you know, coach, you referenced that by saying sometimes we're just going to keep regular score. To keep yeah, we do, at the yeah. end of every practice, we do some type of in the game thing, whether it's yeah. a six minute game, just in the game situation, a 70 70, where first team hits 74, we start a two minute clock or a one minute clock or a 30 second clock, whatever, you know, whatever we got that day to get random in the game stuff. We always score those just regular basketball scoring just like it's going to be scored in the game. Hey coach, I just want to let you know, Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution, to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. So I love that example. I'll give a college coaching client uh, that I work with. 
their team was having a hard time early in the year. They're getting rejected on ball screens too much. And that, that was the exact solution I gave them. It wasn't a technical tactical adjustment. It was literally in practice. Anytime a team gets rejected in practice, game over, as you said. And I love that. That's just simple. I mean, it's not a drill. It's not a tactical change. Sometimes it's just a massive emphasis to say, if this happens, game over. And yeah. players are more attuned to it because of it, aren't they? Yeah, they don't want to lose. And yeah. if you make losing the day in practice uh, miserable, which running a lot of sprints at the end is miserable. And there's also there's also a pride factor to winning the day. Like sometimes it's not even losing because you get good enough free throw shooters. We let you knock off the – but it's like I, I, I beat you today. And there's going to be a lot – Trash talking, which it's healthy to me. You got to let some of that go. Like it's a little healthy to have some guys have some pride and let you know, like you got got your butt kicked today. Like we're better than you. A lot of times, I'll have a guy text me at night, coach. Leave the teams the same. You know, a team loses, like gets doubled up on the day. Like no, I I'm competitive enough. Don't switch them at all. Like okay. you know, a lot of times we'll make one switch. I'll trade this guy for that guy. Ultra competitive versus soft. Make one switch. And it switches the whole dynamic around the next day. But like sometimes the guy will text you, no, no changes, coach. I'm gonna figure it out. Like, you know, your team leaders, you know, whoever it may be, Keon Ellis, Shaq, Jude Herb Jones the year before, like, coach, leave the teams the same. We're 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 gonna come back and get them tomorrow, which I like. The kid texts me that most of the time I'll I'll leave them the same. Sometimes we gotta get certain guys playing with other guys. We try to make the teams competitive. We don't do first team versus second team until we get to playing games probably the day before the game for the whole fall. It's two ultra competitive teams and I want them to compete. I want them to talk a little trash back in the dorms, the apartments. I want them to come back up and shoot at night and let, let, let their teammates know they beat them. Like there needs to be some competitive pride in winning and losing the day. Well, it, it shines through in the all access practices, uh, how your players compete and how you create a competitive environment. Also shines through that your players play basketball in practice. And also we get an insight in terms of how you coach them when they're playing basketball. Because I think that, again, is part of the art of what you do, is that you're able to coach them within the context of the game. Can you talk about some of the different ways that you hold them accountable to what you're teaching while they're playing basketball in practice? Yeah, I mean, we've got some non-negotiables that we, and again, we call them non-negotiables because we're not supposed to be negotiating with them, but there's... There's a spectrum on non-negotiable. Like, <laughs> like if you've got enough depth, it, you can really become non-negotiable. Like, you're not going to do it. You're not going to play. And and in practice, we, you know, if you don't do it, you're supposed to call game over. Well, there, there's the highest level of doing it. There, there's, you know, I felt like we let some stuff slip this year, to be honest with you. But I, I also think, you know, there's different ways to motivate guys, and as you know, different kids are different, different generations are different. I mean, shoot, I've been coaching for, I still feel like I'm pretty young, but I look back on it. It's been, it's been a long time. I was at a lot of games and a lot of practices. Yeah. There's shoot, my first year as a head coach at Romulus was Oh, two Oh three. We're approaching 20 years from then. Like, and so, and that'll all been as a head coach outside of the two years I was coach Hurley's assistant at Buffalo. So, you know, I, uh, our, our non-negotiables on the defensive end are we sprint back every time. So if you don't, if you don't sprint back, and that one's pretty cut and dry, I can I can tell whether you're sprinting or jogging. And a jog is unacceptable. It's losing basketball. So we sprint back, you know, 
we get in a stance, that one becomes a little more subjective. How deep of a stance? How you know? But if you're standing straight up and down, and your knees are locked. You're not in a stance. That that's so you know. If you come out of a stance on defense, it's supposed to be game over. It's non-negotiable. But sprinting back out of a stance, ball pressure within the scoring area. We're not pressuring the ball at 94 feet all the time. Sometimes we will, but once you get in the scoring area inside the four-point line, we want the ball pressured. Obviously, our guard should be able to do it a little bit heavier than our bigs. And, you know, there's some adjustment for, you know, if our bigs cross match on the point guard, we're not going to have him pressed up into the point guard like we would, but but you can't give up, you know, dip threes as we call them. So there's, you know, with all these, there's some explanation with it, but we try to, we put together five non-negotiables. Sprint back, get in the stance, pressure the ball, talk. I feel like talk glues it together. So if you're just sitting there as a mute and you haven't talked for the first five seconds of the best possession, we blow the whistle, game over. You know, JD didn't talk or whoever it may be. It's didn't want to open their mouth and be a good teammate and glue the defense together. And the last one is we're going to box out and rebound. Like you have to, we're not leaking. We don't, I know some people would try to get advantage. We don't do that. Like you're going to hit your man if he's crashing. If he's not crashing, you're going to crash down and, help rebound, we're going to rebound the ball and get out. So those are our five non-negotiables. We try to coach them, motivate them, call game over when they don't do them. But, yeah, we feel like you got to eliminate losing before you can figure out a win, and that's part of eliminating losing right there. It's great because your players know the non-negotiables, so they'll know the reason practice can get stopped, and uh, they can't argue because those are non-negotiables technically. <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. A few times, yeah, but, yeah. I get it. Um, coach, uh, your fast break drills or your best fast break drills are your fast break. And that shines through in your practices as well. I mean, you don't need something special because you already have a transition system and you practice a lot in transition and practice. Can you talk about the importance of that? Yeah. I mean, we do some advantage, disadvantage drills that yeah, I think you saw in the all yep. access we do them. You came in, you know, in the preseason where we were doing everything. So we do that, but then you know, we play a lot of five on five too. And then the five on five, you know, you incentivize what you want and we want early paint touches. We want the ball hit ahead. We want the floor spread, you know, and so there's some stuff, but essentially one of our best fast break drills is we call it a war drill. Five guys box out, you know, we have four guys crash or three crash and a safety and a back man. And it's just a way for us to start a natural five on five transition. You go down, you come back, we reset it. Like it's not complicated. It's very simple, but we, we want to play a lot in transition. Like we, so, and it's got to be as close to live basketball as you can get. So, you know, we, we do a lot of that stuff. We, you know, we try not to stop, you know, sometimes we just play continuous games to eight. Boom, 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 boom. Like, and I, when we're playing continuous games to eight, I try not to, stop it to teach until there's a natural stopping point in the game of basketball. I'm not going to blow my whistle. Like, no, we can, we will blow the whistle on the non-negotiable. We, we, we're not going to play soft, lazy basketball, but yeah, we, we just, we, we try to do mo most of our teaching by going back on video after and, and doing a video cleanup or we do it. I walk up to a kid next to him one-on-one -on -one, you know, like make sure you get wide. You should have attacked there. We want you playing way more aggressive. Like, I just staying around 
talking, having your team listen to the head coach run his mouth for minutes on end is is not the way I, I want to run it. It's I want practice live, intense. You know, we don't we don't want it to go longer than it needs to go because I need to hear myself talk too much. Like we can talk in video. Once we get them going, we want to keep them going as much as we can. Yeah, and that time on task and that commitment to keeping them active in practice and learning by doing shines through too. And uh, I think a lot of coaches are probably wondering because you reference this robots, uh, a lot of plays. You know, you do have structure and you can tell, but your players also have freedom within that structure when you run set plays. Can you talk about how you encourage them to play f- with with freedom within sets? Yeah, so we've got the set that we're going to run, but you've got the freedom to break it off at any point. You you see a breakdown in the defense to get a paint touch. If you break it off, you, you better get something we're looking for. <laughs> like you're not breaking it off to you break it off and you didn't beat your man, you shouldn't have broke it off. You're breaking it off because your man screwed up and you've got a free shot to the rim. Now, when you get to the rim, you got to make the reads. Like, you know, we're not going to be perfect on the reads, but we, if you break it off to get a, to get fouled, to get to the free throw line, or you break it off to get in that at the rim shot or a wide open kick out three, like we are good with that. You break it off and all of a sudden we're shooting a real inefficient shot. Like now we're going to have some issues. We're going to talk about like, no, like you've got plenty of freedom. I'm going to give you freedom, but we're not using the freedom to play inefficient basketball. If you will, don't break it off and turn it over either. I mean, that's the most inefficient possession you can possibly get in the game. So uh, we're going to run the set, but I don't want them to feel so married to the set that they're a robot. Like teams, can scout the sets like they can take away your first option that's great while you're taking this away you're opening up the floor with a huge driving line if you can overplay you know the set so they they need to know if a team's going to overplay this you know we've got a denied option in the in all the sets if they deny it but but again they deny out here and open up a 30-foot driving gap and the guy in front of you can't stay in front of you without gap help and they're going to take away the gap help by playing the sets, then just go, just beat them. Like we, we don't need to run the set to score. I don't, I feel like some coaches want everybody to talk about what pretty sets they ran. And it's great as a coach, we all have a little bit of an ego. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I want to drop the, you know, most innovative sets you can and steal them from the NBA. And I study them all the time and I like it. And I, or after timeout stuff, we want to be in the top 10 to 15 percent down all like, like that. that that's great. But you know what? If that's the most important thing that that's making it about me, what it should be about is about winning the game and players win the games a lot more than coaches win the games. So if you give your players the freedom to go break down a defense, if they see an opportunity to break it down, then go just make the play. And that's where we've got to kind of retrain different guys come from different systems comes from some come from systems that we feel are way too organized and have no freedom to do that at all. Some come from like not enough organization and you just know you you have to know where your players are at when you break a defense down you have to know when it's appropriate you have to know how to space the floor appropriately like don't get in your teammates way as he's able to break a guy down so there there's obviously the spectrum goes from one end to the other and we want as much of all that as you can let's be great at running a set but let's be even better at 
playing at the end of a set or breaking the set down when it's appropriate. Let's be great at playing in the flow. Let's be great at getting into the flow before we ever have to. Like anytime we're playing off a rebound, a steal, even a made basket, I'm not trying to call set. Like we try to call set when the whistle's blown or we're out of a timeout or, you know, maybe end of game, we, we've got something we, we definitely want to go to. We'll slow it down or we're up. All right, we can run some clock and then run a set. But in the general course of the flow of the game, we call it our flow game. When we can flow and we're flowing, we're trying to teach them how to play in our flow game. And we want a lot more of that than we do. Whoa, 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 we're running this. Like, I, I'm, you can't play fast. We're one of the fastest teams in the country every year. If you're trying to call a set every time down the floor, you're going to be one of the slowest teams in the country. It's not what we're trying to do. Uh, it speaks to the balance that you're trying to achieve with a lot of what you're doing. And uh, you mentioned playing fast. So maybe the last question on practice is, how are you measuring pace in practice or how are you helping your players understand the pace in practice that you need to be as fast as you want to play offensively? Again, that's where like different drills, you incentivize different things. So we've got different fast break drills. So one of ours is just a five on five game. We call it a pace game where we set the shot clock for different times, you know, like 14 second shot clock today in a pace games, you know, or 16 second or whatever. And if you don't get a paint touch, you, if you take, I mean, we've got, we've got a couple of non-negotiables on offense. One of those is you shoot a contested non-paint touch jumper. Like it's game over. Like you're not shooting a contested jumper before we've given the defense a chance to break down. So you better figure out how to get a paint touch in the, before that shot clock goes down or it's game over. So that's that's incentivizing, hitting the head, getting a paint touch early in the clock so we can get it. Another another game we play, you know, we, we give them the points left on the shot clock. So we play with a 30-second shot clock. If you score in the first three seconds of the shot clock, you get 27 points. If you score with three seconds left on the shot clock, you get three points. And it doesn't matter whether it's a layup, a three, whatever. You know, we and I think, Shoot, one of my former assistants, Jamie at Buffalo, sent me that one. I think it was it was a women's coach, I believe, at Maryland that was running. It was, it was good. I liked the idea. So we put it in two years ago, and it plays how we want to play. Like I, I like I was a high school coach for a long time. We'll steal stuff from NBA women's coaches, high school coach. I really don't care where it's from. If I like the idea, give it. To, that's why I like listening to your podcast. You got people from. All over the place, overseas coaches, any, any, anybody that's got some innovation to them, I think you figure out how to get them on your podcast. And I don't have time to listen to them all. I'll try to, you know, as we're in the offseason, I get some more exercise time and I can throw them on while I'm exercising. I'm going to try to catch up. But if you've got good ideas, just send them to me or tell me which podcast to go to. So I, I, I like hearing different ideas from different people to kind of play the way we want to play. Well, I hope so many coaches will go check out nadotesbasketball.com and uh, see your practices and the style of play that's led to so much success. Coach, uh, three core values of your program, max effort, continuous growth, selfless love. Uh, the selfless love part in particular, I want you to talk about because, you know, obviously we get this impression from listening to you, you run a competitive program, players like to compete within your program, they like being a part of your program. And one of the reasons I imagine is because you balance all that competition with this selfless love concept. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so when we created our culture playbook back after year two at Buffalo and we talked about it, you really like, what do you want your program to be about? And even if you don't have core values or a culture playbook, you have a culture. 
like everybody does, whether it's good, bad, changing every year, but you got a culture. So I thought about as a high school coach, what, why did I get into coaching as a division three assistant? Like why? And one of them was, you know, I used to tell Baker, my guy that was my assistant for like nine years back at Romulus. And my, if, if all we're doing is teaching guys to put a round ball through a ring, we're wasting an awful lot of time. Like there's a lot more things I could be doing to impact society and teaching kids how to throw a ball through a ring. So, but let's, but if we're the most educated, hardest working coaches at coaching the game of basketball, I think you can get some kids respect to help them really learn how to be better people, better humans. And at the high school level, let's get them a scholarship out of it. Let's get them educated. They can make a difference in their families. I got kids that played for me making a lot of money as professionals that were shoot. Will Clyburn's playing over in Europe, plays for Cheska Moscow, making a great living for his family, really impacted things. So like, let's, let's use basketball as a tool to help these guys become better citizens and better, better young men. So one of that selfless love, get out of yourself, get into your team, get into your community, like learn how to love each other. And it loves something that a lot of people don't talk about with young men to each other, but, but you need to learn how to love your teammate, your brother, your sister, the people in your community. Like if you really love your teammate and he's doing stuff, he shouldn't be doing off the court. You like you address it with him, like smoking weed. Like that's not the best thing for you to get where you're trying to get. Like, let's, I'm your roommate. Like, no, like we're not doing it anymore. Like hold them accountable. Like there's tough love. There's, but we, we, you know, we want our guys to be, Great teammates, great citizens, really good kids. The pe- people that are associated with the University of Alabama are proud to call this their basketball team. Like we feel like that's kind of our character component and our core value, and, and we want we want to make that a big deal. We want to. That's something we want to be proud of. Do our guys love each other? Love their community? Do they act in appropriate ways? Is, are they high character kids? Awesome stuff, Coach. I can't thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.